thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're beginning a series this morning, as you saw, that great bumper that we led us into our time here. And it really comes from a, a book written by Charles Dickens in the 1800s entitled The Tale of Two Cities. And if you remember that book, if you can go back to when you read it, it opens up with, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. How many can remember the opening of that book? All right, I couldn't and I had to look it up. But no, really, it's the, it's the thing, it's that, that little phrase there, the opening of that book that spurred this series on the greatest of times. Jason and I sat down and we began to think about what God wanted to say to us as a congregation as we thought about going into this fall and launching into a new vision or, or refreshing our vision that we have, we realized that, uh, you know, it's easy to look at this as the worst of times. I mean, coming up election and everything that, that we hear about the election and a lot of people are just not only confused but are saying, man, where do we go? You know, we don't know how to vote. We don't, what, what do we do here? What's God's leading? So that brings a little bit of frustration in our lives, a little bit of maybe hesitation on moving forward. But rather looking at these times as the worst of times, how about looking at the future as the greatest of times? <laughs> no, seriously, not, not just, just as not a mental, mental ascent to a, a, a phrase that we, say, that we say to hype us up, but in all reality that in the worst of times could be the greatest of times for the believer. It could be the greatest of opportunities to do what God has called us to do from the very beginning. We're not the first generation that faced difficulties <laughs> or challenges. Matter of fact, you go back in the history from Jesus, just going back from Jesus alone, and there, there was a great explosion of the gospel, and it started off on what we would say uh, just a, a good footing, but they were challenged. But yet it was the greatest of times for the gospel and for Jesus Christ to be known in all the world. So we're looking at it that way, so we're uh, approaching it that way. I want us to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you go to your Bibles, it would be very helpful. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we'll look at some selective verses, meaning that we're just going to select a few out of that particular chapter. We're going to highlight them and read them, and we're going to make some points to our messages today. Are you ready to hear a word? All right. I just believe with all my heart you will if you're open to this now. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, we're going to uh, read some of the verses here. Let me read it, and then um, I'll give you the title of our message. First Samuel, a very familiar story. Matter is so familiar that every time I look at this story, I, I love the story. I, I love some of the, the points and the, and the lessons that we learn from this particular story. But I, but I have to confess, when I, when I thought about it, I thought, is it too simple of a story? Is it too familiar to people? And immediately the Holy Spirit began to say, listen, there's no limit to what I can reveal in my word. 
And I believe God's going to reveal something fresh and new to each and every one of us in this particular story. It's the story of David. It's the story of David and Goliath as he fights that battle. Beginning with verse 23, I want to read. Then as he talked with them, and this is talking about David. See, David, let me, I probably should set it up a little bit. David's just, just, I should just say just, he's a shepherd boy. We figure he's about 17 years old at this particular time. But remember, in the chapter prior to this, chapter 16, he has already been anointed to be the next king over Israel, even at a young age. He was chosen by Samuel, if you remember that story. And if not, you can read chapter 16. So David, after he's anointed, going back to his responsibilities as a shepherd boy, doing what his father called him to do, although his older brothers, because there's a war or a battle going on with the Philistines, they go out to war. David is back with his sheep. His father thinking of his brothers that are up there, maybe they need some rations or things like that, takes David and says, listen, go meet with your brothers and give them these rations as they're in this battle against the Philistines. So we'll pick it up as David arrives at the battle scene. He talked with them, those that were there, the soldiers that were there. There was a champion of the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter." And give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Wow, that's a Benny. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now he just heard what he would do for the man who killed him. But it's like David come back and say, hey, listen, repeat that. What's going to be done? I, I want to hear that again. Verse 27. And the people answered and said in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. So Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. So he heard David speaking to the soldiers. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? In other words, I think Eliab probably gave him a hard time before. What have I done this time? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, who was the king. And he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to against 
to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are just a, a youth. You're young. And he is a man of war, war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of, of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk. <laughs> For he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these. For I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistines came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and he ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, he took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine dead. Now as we enter into this series on the greatest of times and the great opportunities that are before us, I thought that there's something, first of all, that we need to do and that we need to prepare ourselves. Maybe we need, need to do with some things that have been hang-ups in our life are hanging us up right now and keeping us from performing or doing what God has called us to do. 
Matter of fact, robbing from us life. And we are just don't feel like we're getting ahead or going to get ahead in the future. We want to change that. So the title or subtitle of this message is this, Before the Battle Begins. There are certain things that we need to do before the battle begins. And that's what we find in 1 Samuel. In the fall of 2015, there was a football game, just like the fall right now. The football season is launching. The Chicago Bears were going to play the Miami Dolphins in Miami, and the Bears were predicted to win because they had a far superior team at that particular time. So that all the bets were on the Bears that they would win in that game. But they lost. And after the game, they interviewed someone who's familiar to us in Denver, uh, Brendan Marshall, who was with Denver, then went to the Chicago Bears. How could you lose? You were predicted to win, and how, what is it, what, what happened that you lost to the Miami, Miami Dolphins, who are sub-superior to you and your team? And um, here's what he said. Brandon Marshall said, we lost in the locker room. I want you to think about that for a moment. We lost in the locker room. It wasn't because the Dolphins were better than us. It wasn't because they were coached better or they had a better game plan or because they had a home team advantage. The reason we lost, Brandon said, is we lost in the locker room. Before the game began, thinking of there was some discord and there was some disunity amongst the Chicago Bear players. Brandon Marshall suggested in that interview that before we put on our uniforms, before we stepped onto the field, before we saw our opponent, before the coin was tossed and the ball was kicked, we had already lost before the game began because we lost in the locker room. Now, all of us realize that not only can that happen in a game of football, but that can happen in the game of life. Before you approach any advancement, you can lose for lots of reasons. You can be defeated before the battle even begins. How you come out of a battle is determined on how you choose to go into it. I want you to hear that. How you come out of a battle, you're going to make a choice of how you go into it. Your success in a struggle depends on what you do before the struggle begins. Your deliverance from a storm can be determined on how you go in to the storm. The outcome of that interview that you're about to take many times is successful or not successful depending on how you go into that interview. Your outcome on the battlefield is determined by what you bring to the battlefield. And how many know that we have battlefields all the time? What do you bring to the battlefield? A simple way to say it is this, how you begin, note this, how you begin and how you go in will determine how you come out. Now hopefully we're being quiet because you're really thinking about that. Here were the Philistines. They were a dreaded army of Israel. 
they were always plaguing Israel from the very time that they moved into the land. Saul is the king. He's the first king of Israel. They happen to find themselves in a valley just southwest of Jerusalem of Elah, Valley of Elah. Now, this wasn't a traditional war. It wasn't being fought in a traditional way. There was a giant. His name was Goliath. Now, they say he was six cubits tall. A cubit, they say, is a measurement from your finger to, to your elbow, or approximately 18 inches. So you calculate that, and that's about nine foot tall. Now, not all people who study this agree, but somewhere he was big. He was tall, about nine foot tall. And here was this Goliath. Goliath was big, he was bad, and he was battlefield tested. He really was. Now, here's what's happening in this battle. Goliath would come down. Now, it really wasn't a battle. We call it the battle, but there was no battle going on. There was a valley. If you could picture a valley, on either side of the valley, there was kind of a mountain range or mountains, and Israel was one on one side of the valley, and the Philistines were on the other side of the valley. And somewhere along the line, it was determined, and probably by announcement by Goliath, that, listen, he made a challenge. He said, here's how we're going to fight this battle. He said, I challenge anyone in Israel, if there's a man that will come out and fight with me, if he beats me, then Israel wins and you take us as a spoil. If I defeat him, then you will become the slaves to the Philistines. That would determine the battle. So if you get the picture of what is happening, he would come out and he would make this challenge. Now, nobody wants to mess with Goliath. It has been 40 days. No one has taken the challenge. David comes when this is all taking place on the 40th or 41st day of the challenge. And as David comes, he hears this Philistine. He hears these words, and David's reaction is totally different than the reaction of the other men of war, of Israel's warriors. And there were some warriors in that camp. You see, David had more in his arsenal than the five stones and slingshot we're going to see in a moment. David had more going for him than the rest of the warriors of Israel had going for them. It wasn't some rocks in the valley that won the victory, as you're going to see. But something David had that he took to the valley. I mean, he had it with him as he, as he was in those conversations with the soldiers. It was part of who he was. But what he had is what caused him to win against Goliath. It wasn't what he found when the battle began. Hear that. It, he didn't wait for the battle to begin. You know, a lot of times you don't have a whole lot of time when the battle begins to choose what you're going to fight with. He had it before then. It wasn't what he had when the battle began. But the spirit, the attitude, or the mindset that was in him that brought him the victory 
before he even set foot on the battlefield. He was already victorious before the battle started. See, it's not what you have in your hand, but what you have in your heart that will determine the outcome of the battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 says, the weapons of our warfare are not physical. They're not carnal. They're not things you put in your hand, but they're mighty in God through the pulling down of strongholds. They're spiritual. They're not something you can see. They're spiritual things. And David had something going for him spiritually that was going to determine the outcome of his battle. You've got to have the right heart. You've got to have the right attitude. You have to have the, the right spirit. If you expect to win your next battle and take down some giants, and how many want to take some, down some giants? Man, I do. If you expect to take down some giants, you're going to have to have more than what you have physically. It's got to be more than your talents. It's got to be more than your intelligence. It's got to be more than your, your income or your position in life or, or your looks or whatever you might try to identify that you think you have going for you. Listen, those things you have going in the natural will not win the kind of battles that we're going to be fighting because they're spiritual battles. There's a warfare going on in the spirit, and we're in the middle of that warfare. There are struggles. There are challenges that you're fighting right now, and you're fighting them with the natural things that you have, and you're not going to win. You lose. you got to have spiritual weapons. Now notice. Notice this. When David gets to the place where the battle is supposed to be taking place, First of all, there's no real battle. No one has been killed. There's no loss of possessions yet. But notice, only threats. I want you to think about that a moment. Only, say only, threats. No battle. No loss of life. You haven't lost anything. But threats. How many know what threats are? How many know we're plagued with threats, intimidations, voices, negative, only threats? What were the results of the threats? Fear. Seeing someone killed beside them on the battlefield didn't do it because there was nobody killed. Seeing someone hurt. Seeing that they lost, no, no, only the threats, and because they have been threatened, and when we are threatened in life, fear takes a hold of us. And Israel and their army were stopped dead in their tracks. You see, there can be no greatest of times when there's fear and anxiety. It's hard to get out of bed when you live in fear and you're anxious. It's hard to smile. It's hard to go to work because of fear. It's hard to take care of your home. It's hard to take care of your children. You don't know. You see, fear is like a chokehold. 
It's like someone with their fingers wrapped. Matter of fact, that's what it means. It's like their fingers are wrapped around your throat and they're slowly squeezing the very life out of you. Fear and anxiety will rob you of your life. Young or old. Fears. And they come by threats. Here's what happened when David reaches the battlefield. He encounters four groups of people and has four conversations. I want you to start taking notes now. Start jotting them down in your mind. Wherever you four conversations, four groups of people. Verse 26, he speaks to the soldiers. Verse 29, he speaks to Eliah, his older brother. Verse 32, he speaks to Saul. And verse 45, he speaks to Goliath. Those are the four conversations. And there are four things that we can glean from them. In these four conversations, what we're going to do is we're going to uncover four weapons that David had concealed on him, you could say. A concealed weapons, four of them, that weren't seen in the natural. Because it wasn't armor, it wasn't sword, it wasn't spirit. No, these weren't, he had four things concealed in his life that were actually weapons that brought that he brought to the battle that would ultimately bring him the victory. I want you to see all four. Here are the four. Ready? Four things that will win the victory for us. Number one, you have to have a vision of victory or for victory. You've got to have a vision of victory. When he got to the battle, all David heard from the soldiers was how big and how bad Goliath was. That's all he heard. This guy's big and he's bad. How tall he was. How many soldiers he had killed prior to this. How many battles he had won because of this same kind of challenge that had taken place before. All, the, all he heard was how the soldiers said, you should see this guy in his armor. I mean, he looks like a beast from hell. Literally. And the, the Bible describes the size of his helmet and his sword and, and the weight of it all. It's unimaginable how, that a man could actually walk. Literally hundreds of pounds of armor this guy is carrying to the battlefield. Can you imagine what he looked like? Not only nine foot tall, but with this armor on, what does he look like? That'd be intimidating. So David is talking to the soldiers, and while he's talking to the soldiers who's telling him about this Goliath, he hears Goliath. He shows up. He presents the challenge, one he has been doing for 40 days, morning and night for 40 days. So up to this time, we can say 80 times he comes out, presents himself. There, he's doing it. Now listen carefully to this. David says, listen, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine? Now, think about that. Where's David's mindset? David knows, what do I get when I win? Come on. What do I get when I win? David had a vision of victory for his life that the others around him 
did not share. They didn't have a vision for victory. But David immediately, wow, where was his mindset? Where was his heart? Where was his attitude? On the victory. It wasn't on the battle. It was on the victory. Most of the time we spend our lives with our minds on the battles. Others forecasted failure. Others predicted defeat. Others saw an obstacle that could not be overcome. David looked at the same Goliath. David was in the, the, he saw the same situation, the whole setup, except he saw himself victorious on the other side. Say other side. On the other side of the battle. That's where David saw himself. Whereas the other soldiers that he had the conversation with, they saw nothing but a big, bad Goliath who had killed so many thousands of others probably, and I don't want to be the next one. That's where they were. And as a result, they did nothing. They did nothing. David did not look or he did not wander at the battle. He wanted to know the reward he said, when I come out on the other side, what do I get? Tell me again. In other words, he heard it. He said, let me hear that again. Riches? His daughter? That could be good or bad. You know, it's... But the rest of it sounds really good. And it might work out that that'll be really good too. Don't pay taxes? That's where David is saying, are you getting this? How many are getting this? You see this? David already saw the victory. He already saw the victory. You see, the battle, and I don't want to minimize, your battle is not your problem. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your battle is not your problem. God can take care of the battle. Your problem is how do you approach that battle? What's in your heart? What's your attitude? Where are you? Where are your thoughts? What's going on? What on the other side of the battle do you see? Battles are all around us. And if we're going to see the days ahead as the greatest of times, we've got to have a vision of victory. A vision of victory. In other words, I see victory ahead. I see victory ahead. Now, you say, man, I, I don't know if I can say that. I am so overcome right now. I am so wrapped up. This is so overwhelming. I, I fear. I'm anxious. And I, how, how can I? Listen, if you don't, you'll be consumed. There won't be the greatest of times. You cannot look at your battle as something you're going to. Hear me. You have to look at your battle as something you're going through. You're not going to. You see, when you think of it as you're going to it, that's your final destination. Did you hear that? If you see the battle as I'm going to that battle, I wake up this morning, man, I'm going to that battle again. That's your final destination. The next day you're going to wake up. I'm going to the battle. That's your final destination. You see, you've already put a period on it. 
turn to someone and say, are you getting this yet? Man, you ought to be getting this. You see it as the end of the road. But when you see as you're going through it, you get up in the morning and say, man, at the end of this day, I'm going to be better than I was when I started this day. I'll tell you, I'm going to know more about God. I'm going to know more about his grace. I'm going to know about his power. I'm going to see God move today. And it's probably going to blow me away like it's blown me away hundreds of other times. How many know that's a different way to wake up and go to work? This isn't just some positive approach to life attitude we're talking about here. This is an attitude of a believer of Jesus Christ who is a more than a conqueror. This is a picture of a believer of Jesus Christ who has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing more precious, nothing more expensive than the blood of the Son of God who not only died for you but rose again so that you could have resurrection life so that you can have life and life more abundantly. That's, that's who you are. So it's not a positive message to life. No, it's a message of faith. It's a message of trust. I don't trust in this or that. I trust in the living God. I'm not putting my faith today in man. I'm putting my faith today in God. These elections, I'm not putting my faith in man. I'm putting my eyes and I'm putting my faith in God that God is able to work all things out. He's more powerful than any negative newscast that I'm going to listen. He's God. And who do I serve? I serve the living God. He's not a dead God. He might be forgotten by some people, but he's alive. If you're a believer, that's alive in your heart. And that's how you approach life. There's a vision of victory that you've got to have. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, we are more than, say more than. Say more than. You know what that means? We are more than conquerors through him who loved it. It means that, here's what it means. When you study it. When you go into the battle, when you come out on the other end, you're going to be more than. You're going to be better than. You're going to have more victory than. You're going to have more joy than. You're going to have more success than. You're going to have more life than. When you come out. When you look at the stories in the Bible. Listen, look at, when you just begin to think of how God dealt with different people, you see that God specializes not in taking people into battles. He specializes in taking people through the battles. That's what he specialized in. That's the story of God. That's the history of God. You have to overlook all of that and put it out of your mind to live a defeated life. But when you begin to think, we don't walk, we don't walk into the valley of shadow of death, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't walk to the fire, but we walk through the fire. God brought Moses out of Egypt. He used to bring him into Egypt. He brought him, the story was he brought him out of Egypt. He brought the children of Israel out of the wilderness. 
He brought Daniel out of the lion's den. He brought the three Hebrew boys out of the fire. He brought Peter out of the prison. He brought Paul out of the storm. He brought Lazarus out of the grave. And he brought Jesus Christ out of death. Out of death. That's the story of the Bible. That's my God. So number one, you have to have a vision for victory. Second one, it comes from a conversation now that he's going to have with his older brother, whose name is Eliab. Now remember, this is the older brother. And maybe I should say this then. You almost have to go back and remember that when, when Samuel came to Jesse's house and he said, show me your children, he, he lined them up by their age and Eliab was number one who should have gotten any inheritance and any blessing. So this is this guy, okay? Instead, David gets it. Could you see anything in that? Could there be some jealousy already? Huh? Could there be some animosity in his heart already? Obviously, did you see what he said to David? You prideful, arrogant snot. <laughs> Did. This is how he approached him. So here's the conversation. David was speaking to the soldiers and Eliab heard it. He got angry. He said, what did you come down here? Why did you come down here? Who's watching those sheep, by the way? In other words, get back to work, boy. He was angry. He said, I know your pride, how conceited you are, and how evil your heart is. He's mocking David. His brother is mocking David, probably in front of these older soldiers. You know, brothers, families are great, but you begin to see <laughs> the dynamics that can happen in a family sometimes between brothers and sisters. Whenever God gives you a vision, the devil will send someone to discourage you. If you get a vision for victory, if you begin to think, man, I'm going to come through this battle, I'm going to learn, I'm going to grow, I'm going to be victorious, I'm going to have joy in my life, unspeakable and full of glory, this is going to be the greatest of times. The minute you begin to speak that vision and have that vision, the devil will send someone to discourage you. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. I can't tell you when Cheryl and I first were given the pastorate of this church. I mean, we were excited. We had a vision. We were, it's a new venture for us. And I can't tell you for two years how many discouraged people came our way and said, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. No, you'll never make it. It came. Vision and discouragement go hand in hand. There's always someone to tell you what you cannot do. What you cannot do. So number two is this. Be selective of who speaks into your life. Amen? Amen? Be careful who speaks into your spirit. Be careful who you're hanging around. What kind of conversations are you going to listen to or entertain? You've got to be careful. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to guard your mind. You've got to guard your spirit when you have a vision and don't let anyone steal that vision out of your heart. 
Be selective of who speaks into your life. Third conversation. Their third conversation is with Saul. Verse 31 says, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for them. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And he won. He talked about the lion. He, talked, he said, man, a lion came one day. He tried to steal that sheep. And I took that sheep out of his mouth. And then he turned on me. And I grabbed him by the beard. And I threw him down. Think about this. This young boy throws this lion down. And then a bear came. And he did the same thing with the bear. Now, we read over that. Makes for a good story. It's an exciting story. But the reality of that? He said, same God's going to be with me now. David is confident. Saul says, what makes you think you can do this? That's what he said. What makes you think you can do this? Don't you realize, David, that Goliath, this is in his first rodeo. <laughs> you know, he'd been down this road before. He's a man of war. He said, before you were born, he was killing people. Listen, if the enemy can't discourage you, he'll try to scare you. If he can't discourage you, he's going to try to scare you. Here's the warning. <clears throat> Here, listen to this. Because others have failed and others have shrunk back in fear, others couldn't get a breakthrough don't let that put limitations on you. Now, what do I mean by that? In other words, you're faced with a battle. And all of a sudden, you find that so-and-so had that battle and never made it through it. Another person saw that battle, never made it through it. I'm going to tell you, the devil's going to bring all that. They never made it, and someone's going to say, and this is what happened. And who do you think you are that you're going to make it? I remember when... God spoke to me. I was working in construction when I first got here, involved in the church, and God spoke to me as clear as day. I want you to go into business for yourself. Now, what business was it? Construction. I picked up a hammer eight months prior to that. So eight months I've been working construction. I went to my boss, and he said, who do you think you are? That's what he said to me. He said, what, you think you're going to make it in this business? I mean, he was a hard guy. You think you're going to make it in this business? And he was basically calling me a little snot and this and that. And, and you're, God spoke to me. And I'll come back on that in a moment. But here is a problem. When you allow the others that not made it limit you from believing for your vision. And believing, there's a, how are you going to have a, the greatest of times? Don't you real? Here was the third point. David was aware of his anointing. Now, David was aware of his anointing. There's a vision of victory, selective of who speaks into your life, and be aware of your anointing. What anointing? David knew, listen, David knew that he was anointed. 
It wasn't a prideful. He knew, first of all, he was anointed the chapter before. The oil was poured on his head. He was anointed. Did he grasp the full understanding of that? I don't think so. But he knew he was anointed. He knew that this is what you do to anoint someone. He knew Samuel was a prophet and a man of God, but he went back to the job. And many times you go back to work and daily responsibilities, and you can lose sight that you've been anointed of God. You get so busy in what you're doing that you forget you're anointed of God. Listen, every child of God, every born-again believer in this place today is anointed of God for the call God has on your life. Every one of you. There's not a one in there. So, so you say, I can say I'm anointed of God? Why not? That's like saying, I can say I'm a child of God? Why not? I can say that I can be victorious? Why not? Because all these voices we listen to constantly, constantly saying we cannot do it, and God's already said you can do it. And the reason you can do it is because I did it. I went before you. I conquered. I covered your sin. I conquered the grave. I conquered death. And if you're with me, then you're resurrected with me. And you're anointed. You are a child of God. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ in heavenly places. That's who you are. You're on God's heart. You're on God's mind. You're on his radar screen. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you're going through. We just need to step in by faith to who we are in Christ. And we are anointed children of God. You've got to know and be aware of your anointing. Fourth conversation. We've got to move. We need to eat. How many know where they're getting food right now? All right. The fourth conversation is with Goliath. It's with Goliath. I'll write it down. Here's the fourth one. You're, you've got to go in the name and the power of God. I'll explain it. You've got to go in the name and the power of God. David not only knew he was anointed, but knew with the anointing, say with the anointing, say with the anointing, came supernatural power of God is available to you. That's right. You say, I can live in the supernatural? It's a lot better than living in the natural. Huh? There's no satisfaction living in that. Listen, you've got to live in the supernatural. You've got to believe in the supernatural. You've got to believe you not only have the anointing, but the name of God is available to you. The power of God can go through your veins. That's how you can live. He knew the anointed. But he also knew he had the supernatural. That's, you, you see, I'm telling all that. You've got to picture David there. When he's talking to Saul, he knows that he's anointed. And he knows that the way he's going to win this battle is just the way he won the other battles before. The supernatural power of God. David wasn't stupid. David realized where his power came from. He didn't really believe that he killed that lion by himself. He didn't really believe he killed that bear by himself. He didn't believe he was going to kill Goliath by himself. But he knew God. 
And he knew the power of God. He knew what the anointing carried with it. And when he out there, he said, man, when he won that battle against the bear, he went home that night and he said, God, thank you. Lord, your power moved today. I've never seen it. You blew me away. God, you really did that? Did I? Yeah, look at There's the dead lion. Yeah. The bear came. Do you think you really... He didn't think he killed that bear by himself. No, he knew. He was back in his tent. He was looking at those stars. He looked at that sheep and he said, God, there's no way I can protect these sheep by myself. My own strength and my own power. Lord, I don't have it. But you do. You do. And he recognized and he glorified God in his life. So he knew the anointing came and this power of God came. He tried to put on the armor, but he said, I, he said, I didn't win before with this kind of stuff on me. And I'm not going to win this one with this stuff on me. Matter, matter of fact, you know what, David's mind, they're putting all that armor on, and he's kind of there, and, and in his heart, he's saying, what's this? And, and this, this is going to weigh me down. Listen, a lot of times your natural abilities will get in the way of God's supernatural power. You begin to live in that realm where you think you're going to do something. I want to tell you, your victories are not going to come because you think you're something. Your promotions aren't going to come because you did something to deserve that promotion. I want to tell you, God's hands are either on you or not on you. And if you're a child of God, I guarantee his hand is on you, and it's on you for good. For good. Verse 45, when he got there to Goliath, he said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you how? How? He didn't mention the sling. He said, Glad I want to tell you how good I am with this. Oh, I practice all the time, and man, I, I know how to use this. He didn't go that. Come on. He didn't go that. He said, I come to you in the name of God, the God of Israel, the powerful God who created the heavens and the earth, who made Israel a nation, who called us as a people, who called us as the head and not the tail, who said that we're going to be more than conquerors, who said he's going to come back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back. We're going to live with him throughout. I come to you in the name of God. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. The battle is the Lord's and he will give it into your hands or our hands. David, I can just picture David. He's going down in a valley. He's filled with confidence. He knows he's called for such a time as this. He can feel it in his bones. He could feel that God prepared him. God readied him. God did that for a purpose back then to the lion. He did it with a purpose with the bear. God was doing this. He had prepared. And these thoughts are going. And do you know what David's doing? I believe God, he's praying all the time. 
He's saying, God, God, you are so good. You are so mighty. I've seen you do this, and I've seen you do that, and I don't know why you're doing it for me. I'm just a young boy, but you already anointed me to be king, and God, I'm going down. And, and you know, I don't even think he was mentioning, he said, he said, this is a battle everybody else is afraid, but there's something inside of me, God, and I have confidence, not in my own self, but I have confidence in you. He is praying. He is praying. He is praying. He is believing. And when he picks up that stone, he is claiming, God, I claim this stone to be the one, or I claim this stone. He said, I don't know if it's going to be the first one or the second one, but it's going to be one of these stones, God, and I'm going to win by one of these stones. He knew that. You know how impossible, I'm going to wrap it up right now. You know how impossible, just think about the odds. This guy, you read the armor that Goliath had on. It'll blow you away. The helmet alone, just this thing, helmet. All this armor, and an armor bearer in front of him, a guy with a shield that's deflecting everything that would come toward Goliath. Not only himself, he has this other guy. And that, do you, do you think David really believed by him doing all that he could do, that he really could do it? Listen, it wasn't David's hand. It was God's hand that was on the sling. It was God's hand that was on the, the stone. And God, it wasn't just the velocity and what that was moving at. It wasn't all the power that David, listen, it wasn't strong enough. David wasn't strong enough. He couldn't throw it fast enough. But when God got a hold of it, it moved at lightning speed and it found its target and it went deep into his head. Why? Because God's power was behind that stone. And I'll tell you, when you're facing your battles and you're facing these overwhelming odds and fear begins to grip you and discouragement and anxiety begins to grip you, you need to know, and listen, when you begin to pray that you're going to life, you're approaching life, you're not approaching life, I'm going into the battle, but I'm going to go through it. How am I going to go through it? By the power of God. I believe that God's able to take my words and he's going to magnify it. He's going to, mag he's going to take my strength and he's going to multiply it. God, you're able to do above and beyond what I'm imagining or I'm thinking in my mind right now. Why? Because you're God, and I'm not going to limit the God of Israel. Amen? Let's all stand up and give God the praise. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.